Welcome to the Paranormal Pendle podcast, coming to you from the heart of Pendle Witch Country in the northwest of England. My name is Craig Bryant, author, investigator, and collector of stories. Join me as we take a journey into the paranormal, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, and big cats. This is the Paranormal Pendle podcast. So, welcome to episode 43 of Paranormal Pendle, broadcasting to the Paranormal UK network at paukradio.com. My guest on this episode is author Colin uh, Saunders, who's written a book uh, called The Triangling UFOs of the United Kingdom. Um, so, yeah, Colin, uh, very pleased to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Craig, and uh, thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. I'm looking forward to it. No problem. Can we uh, sort of start off by you telling us a, a little bit about yourself then? Yes, yes. Um, I feel that's important when it comes to the sighting due to the um, the career that I've had. So um, first, I need to say that I've, I was never into UFOs. I wasn't looking for a UFO on the night of the encounter. It wasn't something that really took my imagination. I'd been to see Star Wars when I was when that first came out in the 80s. But I, I wasn't looking for UFOs. I was in no UFO groups or anything along those lines. Now, my working career, I started off, and I still am actually, a draftsman. I'm an electrical design draftsman by discipline. Um, I spent a couple of years at a company in Inkley doing the machine tool control and a couple of years doing printed circuit board design. And then more importantly, at the young age of only 21, I... Um, went to work on the Airbus in Germany, in Hamburg, on the Airbus A300, A310, the very early Airbuses. Yeah. I spent a year working in the uh, the fuselage as a draftsman, drawing up the uh, cabling, etc. cetera. Right. Um, from Germany, I went over to New Zealand for 18 months with my girlfriend, where I worked in refrigeration with control systems there for carcass freezers and cool stores. Um, back from New Zealand, we, we came back and uh, I spent a year working in Aberdeen, working for Chevron Petroleum. So that was interesting. That uh, involved a lot of flying in helicopters. I only went out to the platforms a couple of times, but it was a great experience. A lot of um, a lot of flying there and helicopter flying, different types of helicopters. So that was uh, quite an experience. After the um, contract in Aberdeen, I moved on to Sweden, where I worked for Saab Aerospace. I spent two years working in Sweden. I spent one year working in the cockpit, and the second year of working on the uh, the wings and the engines and the horizontal and vertical stabilizers. So again, that was a great um, insight into aviation, especially as the uh, manufacturing plant was on on the airfield where they build the fighter planes as well. Like they used to build the the big and then the vegan and then, and then the Gripen, uh. and they would be taken off all day long. Like you know, right next to my window where I'm sitting drawing, it was just quite a, quite an exciting place to be. So I'm trying to portray here the amount of uh, aviation involvement I've had before the sighting. Yeah. Uh, I came back from Sweden for the uh, the birth of my daughter, actually. Um, and then I got a job at Courtals in Coventry, one of their companies called Antico that make design floors. Oh. Just at that point, we made a transition from drawing board to um, computer-aided design. And whilst working at Courtals, I became AutoCAD User of the Year in 1992. For a project we did there with the automation of design floors um unfortunately my daughter when she was uh, about sort of seven years old caught chicken pox obviously i've never had chicken pox before and i caught it off her and i was really ill um needless to say it, it turned into post-viral fatigue syndrome it was that bad i actually lost my job okay. and i had to start again i became self-employed it took over a year to get myself into a state where I could work again. Uh, it took quite a few years to get rid of the um, the post-viral fatigue. They used to call it ME in them days, the UP disease. Yeah. So that sort of sent me into doing my own business. Um, so I set my business up doing uh, embroidery designs, and I'm still doing that today. So baby, it's called dig digitization. So somebody will send me a picture, say like Mickey Mouse, and then I will turn it into stitches. Okay. And then send that back to the embroidery company. So I spent my whole life 
drawing, drawing boards, computer-aided design. That's all I've ever done since I left school, and I'm now 65. So I have to say, I'm, it was a great way of making a living. It's been absolutely fantastic. So I started up my business from home and started to expand a little bit. I've got another two designers and another girl working an embroidery machine for me. We had a, a small single head embroidery machine. So there were four of us working in the dining room. <laughs> so it was getting a bit cozy. It was just getting to the point where we're looking at moving out. But this was perfect because this is the time I had my sighting. Okay. And because I got the staff at home, um, I could concentrate on the sighting the next day rather than having to work as such because it was such a, a paradigm shift in my way of thinking that you know it took me a long time to calm down after after what took place so basically that's a quick um resume of my working career and hopefully that'll give you an insight into why i think the sighting that we had why I, I took so much information in so much detail and produced drawings and eventually scale models of the uh, the craft that we saw that night okay so do you want to do you want to go into the story then of, of what happened Yes, it was the 31st of March, 1999. Now, my mother-in-law, mother it was her birthday that day. She was 72 years old. And we went out with uh, my brother-in-law. He got his, he had a French partner and her grandparents were over visiting. So there were two cars. My wife was driving the first car, uh, Ford Fiesta. My mother-in-law was sitting in the passenger seat next to my wife and in the back, on the near side was myself and my daughter. Uh, in the second vehicle was my brother-in-law, uh, his girlfriend, and the two uh, old French couple. Uh, we went to the White Lion in Paleton. That's in uh, Warwickshire, close to the Leicestershire-Warwickshire border. Uh, Paleton's a tiny village. Um, it's that small that the pub's closed now, unfortunately, and gone. So we went to the White Lion, we had a meal. Nothing of any particular interest took place whilst we was doing that and then we come to leave now i remember my brother-in-law because i looked out the back of the window of the fiesta that my wife was driving and i seen my brother-in-law struggling to get the old lady back into the range rover because she was a bit fragile and there's quite a high step to get into the range rover so we decided to pull off first assuming that they would catch us up on the way back so off we go the four of us through the country lanes and it is absolutely pitch black there's no street lights whatsoever and then we go through the first lane and we come up to the Foss Way. Uh, Foss Way is an old Roman road um, and it joins the Watling Street, another Roman road at a point called High Cross, which is only just at five or six miles from where we're turning from the village of Pelton. So we come up to the Foss Way and I think it was my wife said, oh, we're turning on to the Foss now. And my daughter said, she was 12 at the time, she said, oh, there's been talk of headless horsemen down here. So we all laughed and said, oh, we'll, we'll keep our eyes open for him then. Yeah. And as soon as we turned onto the Fossway, again, there's no street lights down the Fossway. It's all total pitch black. We turned onto the Fossway and there in front of us, exactly half a mile away, are some lights flashing away by the side of the road, really low down. And there's uh, mainly red lights with a bit of white mingled in. And they're so bright. They're unbelievable. Well, straight away we're talking about them and we're saying, you know, there's too many lights for an airplane, um, too many lights for a helicopter, too many lights for anything, really. And we wouldn't expect any craft to be that low. Also, we'd, all, we'd just come down the road, you know, sort of like an hour previously. There was no roadworks, there's no lights, there's no nothing down the foss. Never has been in all the years we've gone up and down there. So we knew it was strange what, what, what we were seeing. So we drove up to the lights talking about them getting all excited and we stopped the car right next to the lights now there were just lights at this point there was no craft now at the back what turned out to be the craft at the back were these four big red lights circular red lights and they were not parallel to the earth they were tilted at an angle of about 30 degrees i'd say and i could see a smaller red light off to one side and white mingled in with all of these lights oh. so and I would estimate them as being 100 feet away from the car. Now, I steered my friend's narrowboat down the Ashby Canal, which is 70 foot long, and I've took that through bridges, etc. So when I say 100 feet, I mean 100 feet. I could have hit it with a cricket ball. Yeah. And <clears throat> as I'm staring at the, the lights, the big red lights, 
I concentrate on one of the lights, the one that's highest on the tilt. And um, I can see like a crisscross effect on the light. It looked like a traffic lens, um, traffic light lens, you know, the red traffic light with a crisscross effect. Yeah. I could see that the effect was coming from the light that was being emitted. Something along the lines of Newton's law of ring interference. It was not etched into the light itself. It was like, it was definitely a crisscross pattern, but you could see it was being formed by the light being emitted uh, from these big four, big red, we call them lights at the back of the, the craft. And I'm thinking to myself, what on earth is going on here? This is just incredible. At that point, the sky looked like it was starting to ripple. You could see a slight movement around all of the lights. At that point, I thought to myself, oh my word, there's an actual craft, there's something around the lights. It's not just light suspended, they're attached to something. As soon as I had that thought, the craft decloaked. It was just like Star Trek. You know, when the uh, Klingon spaceship decloaks, and there it is, a solid craft. That's what happened to us. As we stared at, I stared at the light, the craft just materialised. It was so quick. Once it materialised, it was grey metallic. The bottom two wingtips nearest to us developed little fluffy white clouds on, on the corners, so condensation. Um, and I think all three points of the craft at this point had got um, condensation on these fluffy white clouds. It was difficult to know what I was looking at at, at that time, but then once it became solid, the, the rear end of the craft stayed where it was, but the nose floated up in the air and it floated up like a submarine underwater. It, the way it moved was so peculiar. It wasn't like a Harrier jump jet would be moving. It floated up, it glided up, it, like it was in a tank of water. The way it moved was incredible. Yeah. So has it tilted up? Now it tilted from the back of the craft. If it had tilted from the middle, I swear it would have hit the ground. It was that close. So the rear end stayed where it was and the nose floated up like a stallion rearing up in front of you. Yeah. So what that revealed to us then was the top surface of the craft, not the bottom, but the top. So the top of the craft, it had got, it looked like it was alive. Honestly, Craig, it, this thing looked like it was organic. It was moving. The surface was like a lake of liquid mercury that was flowing up and down. Wow. And on top of this liquid was silver beams that were interlocking like an old fashioned maze in an English country garden. And these beams, were quite thick and they came all over the surface and it and as soon as it lifted up into there and, and and revealed itself like i say it looked like it was alive like it was organic the first thought that came to me was my god aliens do exist the second one was abductions must take place and my third thought was this explains mysteries from history where things have been like pyramids and such because i got the feeling all of a sudden that these creatures that were there in front of this this craft had been around for a long long time i don't know why i thought that but it obviously made sense so we're all shouting excited like let's get out let's get out we wanted to me and my mother-in-law were so excited we wanted to get on board we would have got on board if we got the chance now my wife being sensible she decided to pull forward and reverse into a gateway which right. would have put us more or less right underneath this craft but the problem was as she pulled forward there was a big hedge and it blocked the view. And I thought to myself, if it's going to go, it's going to go now. She reversed into the gateway, we jumped out. Sure enough, it had gone. But there in the distance going away was this craft the size of a football pitch. The one we've been looking at close to, close to us was probably the size of a house. Right. Um, but when we got out and we stood there and it was total silence, they call it the, the Oz, Oz, Oz effect, mm. there were no cars. Um, no airplanes, no nothing, absolutely pitch black and silent. And there's this craft going away, heading, I would say, towards Birmingham way, quite low altitude, and it was massive, like a football pitch. But it got four big red lights on the back of it, the same as the small craft that we'd seen next to the car. And also, at the end of each wingtip of this huge craft going away was a white light, which lit up the surface. Now, it wasn't strobing, it just lit up the top surface of the craft you could just see it reflecting off the top and i would imagine from underneath you would wouldn't see anything at all and it just sort of floated away from us and we were saying you know look at that the size of that it's changed from a small craft to a big craft because we didn't know anything about ufos 
I mean, after doing a bit of research, I assume now that was like a mothership that the small one probably went back to. So we watched the large one just sort of disappear. And then we got back in the car, checked the time. It was 9.50. We don't know exactly what time we left the pub, but it was around that time. So we don't think there was any missing time. Uh, we got in the car and drove home. Took mother-in-law back. Now, my brother-in-law had brought the house next door to my mother-in-law. So he lives next door to his mum. And when we got back there, lo and behold, there's the Range Rover. And not only that, it's empty. They're all inside the house having a cup of tea. So somewhere along the line, they, they passed us, but they didn't see us. They didn't see the craft. And they got back home, obviously, sometime before we got back. So that was all a bit um, a bit strange. So they, they didn't see anything at all? No, no. And I can't see how they would have not seen anything because this thing was lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, and they were on the same road as you and going in the same direction. And everything. Yeah. yeah. In fact, he said he was driving fast in the Range Rover to try and catch us up. Right, okay. It just never did catch us up because... The only possibility is he just went past when we was in the gateway, but we've got the hazard flashes on and the craft had only just left. So if he did pass us in the gateway, why didn't he see the craft at the same time? Because you would not have missed it, you know, and it was half a mile away from the junction. Uh, so uh, that was the start of, this, of um, the experience, shall we say. So what I've talked about there is the nuts and bolts, what I call about the nuts and bolts of the um experience but there is more to it and i'll come back to that in a while there's some high strangeness um but the way i like to sort of narrate the story is to talk about what happened next in terms of the nuts and bolts so we got home the next day i mean i was all excited i started phoning people in fact it was the first of april the next day April Fool's Day, it made my job a little bit more difficult trying to persuade people about what we'd seen. <clears throat> so I phoned up um, friends in the UFO magazine. I, well, I phoned a friend of mine and he put me in touch with the UFO magazine. They put me in touch with a guy called Omar Fowler. Um, we became great friends over the years. And um, Omar sent me some information on triangular craft that he'd been collecting. Now, inside there, there was a drawing from a guy in Belgium who in the 1980s had seen a triangle come over his head and he'd done a sketch of the underneath of it. Mm. Now, what caught my attention was that the underneath of this craft, this triangle, has got beams coming out of it that were interlocking, the same as on the top surface of the craft that we'd seen. So straight away, I, I thought that the Belgium sighting must have been the same craft or similar series of craft that we'd seen. So having drawn it, and I drew it in AutoCAD, I did it in Coral Draw, I then decided to start making models. And I used the Belgium sighting for the bottom of the craft, and I used our own sighting of the rear and the top to produce the rest of the craft. So there's no guarantee the bottom of the craft had beams on it. I don't know, because we've never seen it, but I'm just assuming that it did have. But it may well have just been a smooth bottom. We won't really know, but... Basically, these models I started making, I included the Belgium sighting on the bottom because it seemed quite logical to me to do that. So I made my first model, uh, got some doweling, I printed some nice drawings off Coral Draw, and I glued those onto the doweling, uh, which was quite quite interesting. But then what happened? Working from home, doing the embroidery, I, we started to sell shirts as well as doing designs. So I bought myself a little van little Astro Max van for delivering boxes of T-shirts around the town. Um, now, that was parked on my driveway, and the model was in the van near the passenger seat. Somebody broke into it that night <clears throat> and um, stole my cassette player, which wasn't worth anything at all, to be honest, in them days. It was all starting to get into CDs. But also, the model disappeared. Okay. And when I, when I took the van to my friend who I bought it from, a, a motor trader, he said it had been, in his opinion, professionally broken into the way they had gone into it. And he couldn't understand why somebody with those skills would, would break into a car of that value. It, it was that point. It was a couple of weeks later when I was looking for the model and I couldn't find it. I realised that it was stolen along with the cassette player because I knew it was in the van. It never did turn up. So somebody did steal that first craft whether they knew what they were doing or not i don't know that's probably just a little bit of paranoia on my side but 
just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so what that basically, um, it did me a favour in a way, because what I did then, I decided to build another model. This time I made it a bit better. Um, I got some dowling, but this time I got some plywood as well to make a more solid structure. Um, I printed some drawings, which I put on, but then I also bought some LEDs, uh, flashing LEDs and a battery pack. And I put those into it as well and made myself a, a more realistic model. Now, I remember on the night when the craft first materialised, it looked like a diamond shape from the rear end, which I couldn't understand <clears throat> because from I started researching on the internet and it just seemed like triangles were quite common and they were all flat bottom. There were no diamond shaped triangles. Okay. So with the model one night, I was just sitting in the chair playing with it and I tipped tilted the nose down slightly so that it came into view and lo and behold there was the shape of a diamond it was because the nose of the craft comes down slightly so you see part of the bottom and the rear end and it just gives the impression of being a diamond shape when in fact it's just the nose that's popping down now that made sense because there was obviously three red lights underneath the craft because when we first came upon the lights, there was a small light that was slightly off to one side below the four big lights at the back. I now realise that was the red light underneath the nose at the front. So the, the craft, although the rear end was towards us, the nose was still slightly further down. So we were seeing the underneath of the craft, a slight bit of the underneath of the craft, as well as the rear of the craft, which gave, like I say, the, the impression of a diamond shape. But as soon as the nose started to lift up, then obviously the diamond shape disappeared and you're just left with the triangular shape at the back of the craft. Now, when, when I said also, I said earlier on about the um, the clouds forming on the on the wingtips. Oh. Now, when I was first looking at the lights, the little red light that was underneath at the front of the craft seemed to be covered in a, in a white mist. So the whole thing was really spooky. It was like a Doctor Who yeah. sort of. Uh, scene if, if you like we've got four big red lights at the back we've got one red light underneath the four red lights there's some white mingled in which must have been the big red big white light in the center of the craft and we've got mist as well it's condensation it's not smoke it's condensation that's formed on the tips of the craft which indicates that the craft was cold when it materialized i've got a theory on that and um the condensation obviously goes to the points of least resistance, which is the three corners of the triangle, oh. which is why I see it, seeing a cloud form near to the red light I was staring at at the back. But also the little red light underneath looked like it was covered in, in mist. And again, that would be the condensation on the nose at the front. So armed with the model, I started talking to people. I went on television on Central Weekend Live and just started to get immerse myself into the ufo world um then what happened then was although i'd built a good model it, the beams weren't raised up off the surface and it wasn't exact and i really wanted to get a, a more exact copy of what we'd seen that night we became a bit obsessed if you like but a friend of mine came around who bought himself a 3d printer and as a project he wanted to print my ufo which is great so he did that he made the triangle and he put some lights in it in the rear underneath white light in the middle but it was quite quite a small size about a5 you could hold it in your hand but it was brilliant and i, I couldn't thank him enough for making it for me but it still wasn't 100 percent because it was just all dark gray or black so the beams raised upon the surface were black when they really needed to be silver and the surface needed to be liquid that looked like it was alive so we chatted about it and in the end I came up with the idea that if I sold some of these little triangles on eBay and sold enough, would he make me a larger version? And he agreed to do that. So I started selling all these triangles, all of the profit I gave to my friend, John, John Mills. Um, he also made, he got quite excited by it. He made a little flying saucer and a cigar as well. So we started selling those on eBay. And eventually we sold enough and, and then John set about building me this larger model that I've got now, the final model. So this one, we've got um, the surface looks like it's alive. It looks like liquid. It's a, a lovely paint job that's been done on it. Um, it costs quite a lot of money. Um, but again, John did it free of charge for me. And we've got the silver beams on the surface 
and we've got a, a white central core that goes in between the top of the craft and the bottom of the craft, um, which I'll explain a little bit more about shortly. So um, armed with this model, I did say to John, well, if you made me this perfect model, I was start going out and uh, promoting it a bit more. So I went to a conference, the OLM conference, Outer Limits magazine, where Chris Everts was running that. And I did a presentation with the model, um, which went down really well. At the end of the presentation, uh, Philip Kinsella, the Kinsella twins, I don't know if you know of them. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've interviewed both of them and, and also been a guest on the, the show as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So Philip suggested to me that I write a book. Now, other people had suggested that, and I had thought about it, and I thought I'd wait until I retire, which is next year. But um, I came back, and I was like, like quite excited. And uh, I thought, yeah, I'm going to start writing this book. So I did. I started it straight away as soon as I got back, and then I blitzed it over a period of weeks. And I guess what had happened over the years, I'd been in touch with a lot of people, and a lot of people had told me their stories. And I'd kept them all up, kept all the emails from over the years. Um, so I started writing the book. I wanted to talk about my experience. So that's in the book. But it wasn't enough to fill a book, more like a magazine, if you like. So um, Philip suggested that I started putting some other people's sightings in there. So I got together all the emails that people had sent me over the years. And then I started asking people for um, the experiences on social media and brought those all together to create the book. So the book's got um, 130 different sightings. The majority of them are close encounters, ah. and no two are exactly the same. So that's how I came around to writing the book. So that basically is the story of the nuts and bolts of the last 24, nearly 25 years of <laughs> research into this phenomenon yeah now just a few years ago i decided to um come out of the closet if you like and talk about the high strangeness that took that place that night okay so let's go back to the 31st of march 1999 at 9 50 p.m at the foss way we drive up to the lights and we stop the car and we start staring at the lights and um just like I said before, the, the sky started to ripple. Um, the little clouds appeared on the wingtips. This thing materialised, and then the nose rose up in the air like a submarine underwater. Now, at this point, it was like somebody had got a pair of binoculars and put them in front of my eyes. Because all of a sudden, I could see the surface really close up, and I could see the beams interlocking. And they came up off, off, out of the liquid and they were solid and they were silver and they interlocked at 90 degrees, obviously manufactured, mm. not, not organic as such. But then <clears throat> that was the first view. Then I got another view, which was the nose right in front of me. It was that close that I couldn't see any of the beams on the surface anymore. All I could see was the big round nose. And I remember thinking, wow, that is beautiful. What a piece of engineering. It's the most spherical piece of metal I've ever seen in, in my life. And then there was a third view which was a side view, which showed a central white core that went around the craft and the bottom of the craft and the top of the craft joined onto this central white core. And where they joined onto it, they it looked like a hovercraft, the way it sort of rolled over onto the center white material. But there were no nuts and bolts, no rivets, no welding. And the way it had been put together, it was just beautiful. It looked like it had sort of been all glued together somehow there were no signs of um, manufacturing technique but it was absolutely stunning to look at and all of the craft itself looked like it was brand new like it just came out of the showroom you know what i mean there were no burn marks on it but there were no windows no apertures no antennas nothing like that okay. it was and um so the next day i'm thinking about these now without the close viewing i wouldn't have been able to build such an accurate model yeah. and i started off by saying to my wife and um mother-in-law and my daughter that I thought I'd had an out-of-body experience that's the only way I can explain it and so I got so excited when the craft materialized and I wanted to be on board that I got this close viewing and I assumed it was an out-of-body experience 
So I started going down that route and um, getting books out of the library on out-of-body experiences. I could never manage to do it again. And then um, Graham Birdsell and um, Russell Callahan used to put on some fantastic UFO conferences in Leeds. And I used to go to those. And I met a lot of interesting people there. Uh, Stanton Freeman and Dr. Roger Lear. Uh, I met Stephen Greer there as well. Um, not so impressed with him. But anyway, uh, more importantly, I met a guy called Bud Hopkins, the late Bud Hopkins. And there was, after his um, uh, presentation, he was taking questions like you could queue up and, and talk to him personally. So I queued up and, and got to him and I told him about what had took place for the triangle and told him about the out-of-body experience. Now, Bud said to me, no, he says, that, that wasn't an out-of-body experience. He says, they were images placed in your mind by the aliens on board the craft. I thought, that's a bit weird. But before he got a chance to uh, explain any more, this lady behind me sort of butted in and started talking about a crystal she'd found in the woods by a UFO and got Bob's attention. So I couldn't speak to him. That was the end of the conversation, unfortunately. So I went away thinking, that's a bit odd you know, um, images placed in my mind. And I didn't really take it on board. I still stuck with the um, out-of-body experience. But a few years ago, uh, probably about four years ago, five years ago, I did a presentation in Birmingham to the Birmingham UFO group, Dave Holdren. Oh, yeah. And at that point, I talked about, because I was starting to talk about it now, I've talked about the close viewing and the possible out-of-body experience that it was. Now, Dave came up to me afterwards and said that he had a report and he sent it to me of a guy who'd seen a UFO land. Um, he was leaning on the gate of a farm field and the UFO was quite some distance away and these aliens got out. And he said all of a sudden, one of these aliens' faces was right in front of him. And he said it was telepathically done across the distances. Um, now, I thought, well, that's something similar, but not quite the same as I've had but as coincidences go within two weeks of that i had an email out of the blue and i've put the email in the book from a guy in connecticut in america now he's never told anybody else about his experience but basically he started off by saying he'd had an experience with a triangle and he says just like you i had images placed in my mind by the aliens on board the craft and he went on to explain how he'd seen this triangle it came down really close and as he was staring at it all of a sudden like me he had three distinct close-up views okay. two two were the outside of the craft and one of them was uh, the internals of the craft okay right um and he said that um there were images placed in your mind now when i read that email the penny dropped it was like a eureka moment i've been doing a lot of uh, listening to david jacobs work with abductees and just general uh, knowledge from across the years that people talk about telepathy with aliens aliens don't tend to talk to you by moving the lips and speaking to you it's all telepathic right. but what david jacobs abductees were saying a lot of the time uh, images are placed in people's minds and i thought yes that's what took place and it makes sense now right. um because i'm a draftsman i spent all my life with geometry it wasn't an out-of-body experience it was aliens placing images in my mind a picture paints a thousand words so it would make more sense to do that than do a telepathic conversation as such yeah so it took me a while to sort of calm down from that and i'm thinking wow how amazing is that how lucky am i i i've i believe i've had um telepathy with an alien well what also coincides with this is that after the event, now the first 40 years of my life, I had nothing. No ghost, no paranormal, nothing at all. Now, all of a sudden, after the encounter, the very next day, things start to get a bit weird. We start having sort of problems at home with electrical equi equipment. Okay. Um, right. Yeah, the hard drive went on one of the computers. The, a clock started working in the cooker that had never worked. Kettle boiled dry, apparently, and... My wife said about that. And all the TV went wrong and the, the the receiver was blown on it. Okay. Somebody suggested that the um, they followed us home and scanned the house to see what our reaction was. And that scanning process perhaps interfered with 
electrical equipment. But more importantly, other things started to happen, paranormal things. Um, and it was only happening to me. It wasn't happening to the other three people in the car. It wasn't happening to my wife, my mother-in-law, or my daughter. But I was starting to have quite a lot of weird things happen. So I started writing down dates and exactly what took place. And I'm glad I did that because I've now put them all into the book. And it lasted for about 18 months. Some of them were quite uh, minor. Some of them were more major. And I'll tell you about one of them, um, Craig. Yeah. Um, and this is why I've not talked about it for the first 20 years, because people think, would think I'm nuts. <laughs> I'm crazy. I mean, it's, it's crazy enough having an experience with a UFO, but then to say um, you're having all these other weird things happen. But they did. I mean, I'm, I'm not making any of this up. I've got no reason to. because oh, Of course, no, absolutely not. It's only ever detrimental to a person to say they've seen a UFO. You don't gain anything from it um monetary wise it's just a personal sort of thing yeah yeah so i'm down the um the river saw at rothley in leicestershire and um i fished there for many years and i'm down there in a, in a competition there's only it's a club there's only a few of us down there and i'm in a field on my own and i'm really enjoying this i'm standing in the water with my waders trotting down catching roach and chub just beautiful it's a beautiful morning it's just my way of relaxing i was really in my element and i hear four footsteps coming across the field towards me now in the past there's been farm workers down there shooting and mm. um, so i think i better go back up the bank it's quite a steep bank down to the river so go back up the bank make myself known in case of shooting in my direction oh. so i climbed up the bank and there's no one there but to my um, astonishment the footsteps are continuing and they're really loud, and there's four footsteps, and they're coming towards me. I start panicking at this point, and I'm thinking, it's a cat, big cat. It's going to come and eat me. So I take a spike out of my rod holder that I use for my umbrella, and I think, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I know cats can swim, so I can't swim across the island to get away from it. It might swim after me if it's hungry. So I thought, if it is a cat, I'm going to go back down the bank of the river and get it to jump on me and impale it on its own weight on this spike. That was my game plan. And I stood there and I worked all that out in a split second. And I stood there shaking, holding this spike as this thing walked towards me. But the thing was, there was nothing there. It was just the noise and it walked right in front of me. Could have been no more than six feet away. And it went from left to right. And as it went past, I got a bit, uh, a bit braver and I started shouting. Mm. I put the spike under my arm and clapped my hands. And then I started hitting the grass with the the spike that I got but there was nothing nothing there at all and for the noise it was making it must have been quite a heavy um heavy creature or whatever it was and I stood there and I thought that's not here the sound's here but whatever's making the sound is not actually here it's like one of these space-time contingencies it's yeah. somewhere else you know what I mean like the like something from the past or from the future or whatever yeah and I stood there, and when I realised that, I calmed down. You know, whenever you have experiences or you see something, you don't immediately jump to, oh, it's a UFO, oh, it's an alien, oh, it's a ghost. You try and make logical, normal, everyday sense out of it. But once it had gone past and I realised that what had just took place was something in another dimension, like I said, I calmed down. I thought much prefer to have that than a wild cat coming after me. So it sorry to interrupt. So do you think it was possibly some sort of time slip or something well, of that description? What I was going to say was at that point on that day, Craig, I decided that the UFO because I had nothing prior to the UFO. The UFO was responsible for everything that's now occurring, which can only lead to one one assumption: that it's dimensional. This uh -huh. thing has not come from another planet. If this had come from Mars, I would have seen it and it would have gone. And that would be the end of it. Same as like if um, somebody was on the moon and they'd seen an Apollo land there and disappear, you wouldn't expect them to go on to have other experiences because yeah. it's a nuts and bolts experience. So all these other things that were coming through, I realised were dimensional. And the reason why I was experiencing these and not the rest of my family was because of the night of the UFO, they used telepathy on me to show me close-up images of the craft. Even though the craft was in front of me, they showed me close-up details. So I believe in doing that, they unlocked part of my brain, which then allowed these other things to come through. So now I started to think these other things must be here all the time. 
but nobody's aware of them because your brain's not picking up on it. Yeah. And yeah. for 18 months, I was allowed to pick up on these things, but it's, it sort of dwindled over the years. Mm. But that led me to believe 100% that that craft was dimensional. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, some some people believe that that um, when you have paranormal experiences, it's because you tuned into that sort of frequency, isn't it? That it's that's there all the time. But some people are more susceptible to be able to tune into it and 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 feel what's there rather than than some people who can't. So perhaps this telepathy then, as, as you as you're alluding to, had sort of opened your mind up to these different frequencies that are all around us. That's right. Yes, and also. Um... I did read once somebody put the, they tend to pick on people who are tele, telepathic anyway, because oh. it makes their job easier to be able to sort of communicate with them. Yeah. And that, that, that would sort, sort of make sense, wouldn't that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. Um, the strange thing was, um, once I started writing the book, I asked people if they'd had any other experiences apart from the encounter with the triangle. Now, more people were saying yes than no. All these other people are saying that all these experiences have had with ghosts and things. But what is interesting, what I realised is that all of the people, all of them who are in the book have had paranormal experiences as well as UFO experiences, yeah. start off with paranormal experiences, often through childhood. When they're young, they have what other people think were imaginary friends, but they would see you know, real people, real ghosts. And they go on to have these things throughout the life, and it culminates in a close encounter with a UFO. Now, in my case, it's the other way around. As far as I can remember, I had nothing from the year of zero to 40. Oh. Then we have the UFO, then I have all the experiences afterwards. So mine's sort of like been slightly backwards to the way other people have come across these craft. Yeah. So what... I've got, I've got, I'm sorry, I was, I was just going to ask, what, what other paranormal experiences have, have you had then since since this uh, this incident um i was we went to play darts in um in burbage at a pub called the anchor uh, on a thursday night so we sat out the back having a pint because it was a lovely evening before we went in to play the game and um we're sitting there and all of a sudden i said oh no birds pooed on my head <laughs> and i felt this splat on top of my head so i put my hand up and there was absolutely nothing not even any water raindrops nothing and the sky were completely clear. I thought that's that's weird. That's like some sort of um, muscle twitch or something along those lines. I've never experienced that before. But I did say to everybody, you know, birds pooed on my head. But like I say, there was nothing there. That was Thursday. Now on Saturday, I'm heavily involved in making me model. That's all I can do is concentrate on making the model. Um, so we got quite a large house at the time and sheds out the back that I was using my workshop to make this model and i'm down there um spending a lot of time filing the corners the three corners trying to make sure they're all perfectly round for some reason i was obsessed with this yeah so i come out of the shed to walk up to the house and there you go again and another bird pooed on my head splat right on top of my head put my hand up absolutely nothing look in the sky clear blue sky not a cloud not a raindrop not nothing went in the house made a cup of tea come out again and again splat so and that was it Three splats, one on the Thursday, two on the Saturday, right on the very top, the crown of her head. So the first one you could dismiss as being a, uh, I don't yeah. know, yeah. I don't know what you dismiss. Is. I don't know if there's any sort of Just nerves or stuff or muscles yeah, up yeah. on top of your head. Yeah, yeah. Um, another one was um, I'd been to a UFO conference in Leeds, the ones that I talked about earlier, the UFO magazine used to put on. Yeah. And I come back home and um, Wife and daughter, obviously, in bed asleep. I come up the stairs. And normally I look um, south out the bedroom window to see if I can see anything before I go to bed. But this particular night, looking out the front window over the park, the house overlooked Hollycroft Park, um, there's this big orange ball of light. And it's inside a really low cloud. The cloud level that night was that low that everything was dripping wet. The trees were dripping water because they get so moist because the dampness in there, the humidity. So the clouds were really low. And there's this bright orange ball of light inside one of these clouds. And it's shining to the edge of the cloud, but it's like a pencil. It doesn't spray out. It's not omnidirectional light. 
It's like a laser beam light. Mm. And this comes to the edge of the cloud. And I thought, wow, look at that. Um, because I've been seeing other stars moving and what have you, I bought a camcorder to try and record these things. So I went to the bedroom and grabbed the camcorder. As soon as I picked it up, I thought, I know what's going to happen. It's going to disappear. So I went back to the window. Sure enough, it's gone, just like that. And um, there was another one that I seen turn through 90 degrees when I was standing on the patio, but this one was quite high up. I thought it was a satellite at first, but then it, it stopped and turned through 90 degrees. I got the camera on my side. By the time I put the camera up, it disappeared. And I thought to myself, you're losing the plot here. You're going crazy. That's um, that's quite classic behaviour, though, isn't it? Sort of um, turning, you know, very sharply uh, from one direction to another. Yeah. Yes, but this—I mean, it was going very slow when it did. It was about the speed of a satellite, but it just went through through ninety degrees. I've seen a lot of um, a lot of lights in the sky during the period that I kept going out watching. What I would say to people: if you have an experience. If you don't have a close encounter, mm. do not try to record it. It's going to disappear. So the first thing to do is to enjoy the moment, look at it, take it in as much detail as you can. If you then decide you want to try and record it once you've had a good look at it, then get your phone out, but I think it will go. If it doesn't go and you do get a picture, nobody will believe you. Yeah. And quite often people who do take close-up pictures, they're all distorted anyway. Yeah. So yeah. enjoy the moment. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've I've seen something very similar, um, which is which is what what started my interest in all of this, or rekindled my interest in all of this, uh, quite a few years ago, um, where I saw an object that was doing things in the sky that no man-made object, in my opinion, would be able to do um, <laughs> because of the way that it was behaving. So, uh, but I don't think at any point when I was watching it, I actually thought I'm going to get my phone out and record it, and I had my phone with me, uh, but I was just that taken aback by what i was saying i, I couldn't think of anything else yeah yeah i mean people say to me didn't you record it or not and you think of getting your phone out well back in them days 1999 i'm not sure if we had um a camera on my phone or not probably not no <laughs> but i wouldn't have thought of it anyway no i would have just stopped and just looked at it it was just it was like meeting god it was just incredible even though i'm not religious it was absolutely yeah. mind-blowing so in all of your research, can I ask then, um, I mean, obviously, you know, people need to go out and buy your book. I mean, it, it sounds uh, sounds like an amazing experience that, that, that you had. And, and obviously there was there was things that continued after that that are really difficult to explain. Um, have you ever come across any sort of um, uh, cases where, where they've been, or there's been a lot of cases in one area where they've been concentrated in one area? Um, the reason that I ask is that I did a little bit of research myself into um, an area up here in the northwest around Morecambe Bay, and there have been a lot of reports of triangular UFOs in that area, and they do seem to be quite concentrated. So I'm just wondering whether you've come across any other areas where there's been similar concentrations over the years. Um, not not particularly apart from locally, but then that that's probably because. Um, I've spoke to a lot of local people and I've done quite a few um, articles in the local newspaper, uh, Hinkley Times, and I've also had articles in the Leicester Mercury. And I've invited people to get in touch if they've seen anything. So around Hinkley, where well, I live just on the outskirts now in Barwell, in a little village. But around Hinkley, I mean, I gathered uh, 10, 15 sightings from local people. So... I've said this before, actually. You might think that Hinkley is now a hotspot for triangles because of all of the cases that I've pulled together. <laughs> but I reckon if you put a Colin Saunders into every town around the country and get that research done, you'd probably find that there's people in every town that have seen triangles. I think they're just everywhere. And I think people don't report it. There's nowhere to report it to. There's no, no authority for this anymore. What do you do if you see a UFO? I think most people keep it to themselves. Yeah, around Hinkley. I mean, there's a guy in, in here. Um, he saw a triangle in um, a village called Sharnford, which as the crow flies, well, from where we saw our triangle, it's six miles, so a very close distance. And um, I think it was a week apart, just seven days apart. 
and okay. um, he saw his a week before we saw ours but the one he saw was the size of a football pitch and it was just above um field height just like level with the hedge so he's driving to work at three o'clock in the morning he's a lorry driver and he's heading up to magna park so he comes out of Sharnford and he says he comes up to bumblebee lane and when he gets to bumblebee lane there is this huge triangle he says it's massive it's like the size of a football pitch and it's by the side of the road it's um by the hedge just level with the hedge and he said it is just hanging like a picture on a wall it's not moving a millimeter and it's totally silent he stopped his car got out and he looked at it and then he started to get a bit panicky that's when you could see it wasn't moving a millimeter or anything at all not even a thousandth of an inch the thing was just hanging there so then he got back in his car drove off and he said he could see it in the rear view mirror all the time now that was just a week before her sighting yeah. which seems like a bit of a coincidence doesn't it well, it is when you consider that that you said you saw what you thought was possibly a mother craft, um, although it was some distance away. I mean, you initially described that, didn't you? It was about the size of a football field, so um, or a football pitch. So it, it it sort of ties in, doesn't it? It is it. It does, yeah, yeah. Craft. So um, that's the question. <laughs> yeah, the, the book's got loads of uh, interesting stories in. So. And there's a lot of details to be taken from the uh, from the book as well. So I've made some uh, some lists of things that are commonalities between right. people talk about. You know, for instance, like most people believe that these triangular craft are um, black or dark grey. I mean, I have to say, I don't believe the TR3B is responsible for 130 different sightings in the UK. Mm. And that's only the ones that I've collated. There must be thousands of sightings. I mean, worldwide, there must be hundreds of thousands of sightings. They can't all be the same craft going around really fast. But what I've learned from reading the book, the colours of the triangles, they're grey, black, orange, silver, gold, white, blue, dark brown and green. They're all different coloured triangles that appear in the book. Right. The lights on the triangles, normally they're red and white. But people have also seen green, blue, yellow, orange, bronze, purple, and a pinkish orange. Often people do report a white beam coming out of the, the central light of the triangle. Oh. Now, the interesting thing about the noise, we didn't hear any noise whatsoever over the noise of the car engine. The engine never stopped. We didn't have any interference. But throughout the book, people talk about um, a dull hum or a low humming noise, like an electricity transformer. Oh, yeah. okay. buzzing or droning and somebody said it's sucking like a vacuum cleaner okay. sizes they they go from quite small you know just a few feet across to the size of a football pitch i mean there's all manner of sizes of triangles you know, <laughs> it makes much sense does it really um description fridge and pipes and girders that that crops up a lot a lot mm. you know it's got pipe work like like you see on the back of a fridge I've got a theory on that, which we, we can come back to. Okay. Uh, some people said they felt pressure when the crafters come close to them. Uh, cloaking, people have seen them cloak and decloak. Um, I have a guy just up the road, it was Shilton. He had a, a triangle come over him when he was in the garden. It was half cloaked. And he said he looked at it, he thought, that's not a very good cloaking system. I can see half the craft and half of it's invisible. Um in fact, I invited him round, and the, the guy from Sharnford who's seen the football pitch one at the side of the road, and the three of us just sat there and had a conversation about triangles. Yeah. It's great to talk to people who, who know, people who have seen. Mm. Um, also, like, people say shimmering and look, look, looks like tinfoil, rippling, black tar, and missing time comes into there a few times as well. And a few other people have said that they look like they're alive, even though they are actually artificial, the manufactured, but they look organic. Which is, which is how you described your sighting, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So maybe it's some sort of really advanced futuristic AI technology where the craft is, is thinking itself, I don't know. But I, I tend to think that there were beings on board the craft, but it's such a complex subject, we don't really know, do we? No. Can, I, can I just go back to something you mentioned a couple of seconds ago? Sorry to, to interrupt again. You mentioned TR3B. I'm not familiar with, with what that is. Oh, right. Um, it's... Allegedly, a um, well, they call it an atomic powered triangle that's built by the US military. Okay. 
So it's a secret black project, but there's right. never any convincing pictures of it. There's only sketches and talk about it. So would would that be sort of like a stealth bomber then, that that type of thing? Um, it doesn't look like the stealth fighter or the stealth bomber, the F one one seven Nighthawk. It, it looks more like a very futuristic um, triangular shaped craft. No, no engines as such. Or it, yeah, if you look on if you look on Google, you'll see TR three B. And every time I put stuff up about triangles, there's always somebody who says, "Oh, it's a TR three B. That's one of ours." Right. I mean, the Americans are very. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're very patriotic mm. when it comes to their um, manufacturing of yeah. these secret craft. But if you remember, like, the um, the stealth fighter and the stealth bomber, the F-117 Nighthawk and the B-2 Spirit, if you Google them, you'll find the the only manufacturers, like, about 100 or not much more than that of each one. Yeah. And they're all... Exactly the same. Even between the fighter and the bomber, there's not a lot of difference in the shape. Uh, now, the reason for that is that when you start flying these craft, they need to be serviced. And you need to have spare parts, and you need an engineering team to be able to keep these things aloft. So you keep them all the same. You don't keep changing the shape from one to another. Otherwise, it becomes really difficult trying to maintain your fleet. So all of these different shaped triangles around the world cannot be coming from America. Um, <clears throat> so you mentioned um, about uh, pipes. What's your theory yes, now, on the pipes? Now, this is interesting. This is a theory I've come up with. Somebody sent me a, a video, um, a guy called Boz Amor or something. He, he's on YouTube. He, he does a lecture on quantum levitation, where he takes a piece of metal, freezes it down to zero degrees Kelvin, oh. and then it becomes a superconductor. And then you can suspend it in midair over a magnetic field. We can get it to follow a rail. And, it, and it will, if you get it to sit there, it just sits, sits there. Oh. And it doesn't move a millimetre or even a thousandth of an inch. It just sits there like a picture on the wall. But the thing I noticed about it was there was a lot of condensation on the metal because it's so cold. Oh. So then I came up with this theory that the craft that we saw, now the liquid on the surface, probably trapped underneath a transparent skin, could be something like liquid nitrogen the beams on the surface that are interlocking on the craft <coughs> if you imagine they protrude down through the surface into the liquid itself then all of the beams become superconductors they're all cooled to zero degrees kelvin that way the whole craft then becomes one big superconductor and you get quantum levitation but also when the craft materialized remember i said that you've got these fluffy white clouds on the wingtips yeah that would be because the craft itself is so cold and when it's coming into our atmosphere it, that, that's a natural occurrence yeah so when we see craft with pipe work now i've got a picture of one in the book this one's got like the fridge pipes running all over it <coughs> it's a picture uh, that was given to me by um, michael schwack in america so i believe these pipes running up and down the surface contain liquid nitrogen or something along those lines <clears throat> excuse me so again you've got quantum levitation but the in a slightly different way so you cover a craft in pipe work like the back of a fridge they all become superconductors and again you've got this quantum levitation where you don't need a, a traditional power source to power the craft you don't need engines blasting out the back of it it's just um using magnetic fields to propel itself along and that would explain the lack of noise yes yeah and, and it could also explain this feeling of pressure that people um talk about that's right yes oh, interesting um, very interesting that yeah that's just my theory but i've got um I'm going to read you a little passage from the book, if that's all right. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. And then we can we can tell people where to, to find the book and so on. So uh, this is from a guy called Charles B. It's not his real name. Um, he, he's some sort of protection officer, so he has to be a bit careful. But he was out with his daughter, and they'd, been, they'd seen a triangle. Um, I think he'd seen a few over the time. But he was in North Yorkshire, Um he says, 
I discussed these things with my daughter and we decided to look for the light and try to get closer. We saw it one night moving over the Moden area of the town. My ex-partner tried to say it was Venus, but Venus was also clearly visible and the object was also clearly visible. My ex's daughter, who was seven at the time, became hysterical and said it was aliens. We pursued the object, which was very bright, but as we fo followed slowly in the car into North Yorkshire, it seemed to be getting lower. We both reasoned it was maybe a helicopter, but there were no strobes and no noise. Somewhere between Cleesby and Manfield, we lost sight of it as it got too low. We looked for the object, but decided to give up and turn back home. As we drove back along the A67, I said, let's look down by the river at Low Connors Cliff. With hindsight, I think they told me it was there. After driving down the track to the river, it was probably about 300 feet above the ground. It was huge. The triangle was at least a thousand feet across. The lights at the apices were dim yellow-orange, and there was a dimmer orange light in the body towards the back. I got out of the car and stood staring at the triangle. There was total silence. I could no longer hear any traffic from the nearby A1M motorway. The body was black and it blocked out the stars, but I could see stars around it and also a nearby farmhouse on a hill of, of the south of the river. It also seemed to block out the breeze. I don't know whether I got closer to it or it to me, but it seemed right underneath it. But I seemed right underneath it. I could see black channels that's in the underside of it, which you would have now made me think they are a docking mechanism. I can't explain how. I've never told anyone until now, but it seemed to be just a few feet above me. It seemed to be made of a slate or graphite material, very dark grey and a smooth matte texture. I could feel the presence in my body and the dental implant was vibrating in my mouth. I could see the channels covered the underside of the craft. They're probably six feet across and of a similar depth. I raised my hand and touched part of the craft's body between the channels. I was terrified and even thought it could harm me, but I did it anyway. I brushed my fingers over it and then put my entire palm on it. It felt like a hard kitchen worktop with a matte finish, but it was not cold. The next thing I remember is my daughter shouting me to get back in the car. She hadn't wanted to get out. And that was the end of his uh, encounter. So the amazing thing there, like the pressure that he was feeling, the, the size of the craft. Yeah. The fact that the craft could manoeuvre down that close to him, that he could touch it without actually causing him any damage. And the only thing is about this site is well, it goes against my theory of the craft being super cold and super conductor because if he's put his hand on it, if it had been that cold, it would have frozen his hand off. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, um, yeah, so the, the book is called uh, Triangular UFOs of the United Kingdom. Whereabouts uh, can we can we get it? Where, where can we buy it from? We can get it from uh, Amazon. It's available as a paperback, hardback. The Kindle, and there's also an audio version there as well. So, Triangle UFOs of the United Kingdom. There's um, plenty of pictures in there as well. There's pictures of the models that I've made. Yeah. And like I say, there's 130 different close encounters that you can go through. It is quite fascinating. I wish I'd got a book like this back in 1999 when we had our experience. Yeah. No, it would have made me feel a lot better about it. I was going to say, it, it, it would have made you feel a bit more able to sort of open up about what happened um if people want to get in contact with you perhaps there's people out there that would that have had experiences that perhaps now feel they can they can talk to you about them um do you have any contact details yeah they can either contact me through facebook messenger but if they're not using facebook you might want to email me so i'll give you my email address okay it's uh, peck13 that's popper echo charlie kilo one three at hotmail.co.uk okay excellent so yeah so if there is anybody out there that has any any sightings or any experiences that, that they want to share with you then they can just just drop you a line um it's been fascinating talking to you um Colin about about this it's uh it's a, a, a subject that I haven't covered before although I have I have a as I say I've had a, a passing interest in it because of the uh, research that I found out about the Morecambe Bay area. So it would seem that these craft are, are quite clearly more prevalent um, than than you know than I imagined initially. Um, and it's it's just it's been a fantastic uh, discussion with you and a really interesting experience that you had all those years ago. Um, yeah, it just... still stays with you to this day. Yeah, it's mind blowing. It's been nearly twenty five years now. Yeah. And it's true to say I've been obsessed with it all that time. I did try to 
leave it for a while, but that, that didn't work. I got back to it again. I mean, you have an experience like this, you, you can't really forget about it. Although I think there are a lot of people who have experiences who then just try and try and hide it and forget about it because they can't cope with it. Yeah. But I'm the opposite. I just want to tell everybody about it. And if there's anybody listening to this who's suffered uh, psychologically with it, I mean, get in touch and we'll have a chat. Yeah. So I, I know exactly what you've been through and what you're going through. It's, it's not something you can talk to your normal person about down the pub. No. I mean, you've got no. to be careful who you talk to us. You could end up getting yourself into a worse situation. That's that's very true. Um, I just um, encourage everybody to go out and buy books. It sounds, sounds like a, a great read. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, as I say, I've really enjoyed the chat that we've had. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll speak again soon. Yeah, I've enjoyed that. It's been great, Craig. Thank you very much for having me on your uh, podcast. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you. You can visit my website at www.craigbryant.co.uk. Paranormal Pendle will return, and remember to keep watching the shadows. Mm-hmm.